0: Hello and welcome to Drew's Real Dirt, Gardening 2.0. Memorial Day is often called the unofficial start of summer, but it really feels like summer in the garden this year. Spring came late in 2014 after a very cold winter, but summer will be right on time with roses in bloom. The slow start accelerated once the trillium in the shade gardens began to bloom as usual they lasted just a week and they were in bloom when the cypripedium orchid which usually follows them also opened with a single flower there was a lot of spring rain and the leaves on the trees are extra large adding more shade the plants haven't flopped yet but the weeds are on the march and i have to say happier than ever shade is a refuge from the sunny parts of the garden on the hot days we've already experienced Today's guest takes us into the shade once again and celebrates one of the areas of North America where the jewels of the woodland thrive. Amy Ziffer is a professional with a lot of experience in gardening and publishing, and many opinions on both. Amy is the owner of A Shady Lady Garden Design and a former editor at Fine Gardening Magazine. Like me, Amy gardens in the shade, and like me, she has a lot of ideas born out of experience, which in my case I could call failure. And then figuring it out. Uh, But if you're interested in success, you'll be interested in her new book, The Shady Lady's Guide to Northeast Shade Gardening. Hello, Amy. Hi, Ken. The last time you were a guest on the radio show, we spoke from your home in northwest Connecticut. And we might be doing that now as well.
1: Yes, we are. I'm in the same place.
0: Uh, Well, it's obvious that regionality is important to gardening. Uh what do you describe as the Northeast? And I'm asking that because I've been to parts of Michigan that I would swear I was in Massachusetts. Maybe not as rocky, but uh as far as the plants that are growing, it's it's like the woodland plants in Massachusetts. So what's your what's your grand vision of Northeast? What's the region that you're covering?
1: Well, you're absolutely right, uh, and boy, we had a lot of discussions between my, my publisher and me um, about exactly um, what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a regional publisher, you know, so they were they were interested in that, and it it, um, it is correct that I think that the best way to define it maybe is. Um, an area that has a certain cohesiveness in terms of the native vegetation. So, yeah, you'll find a lot of the same vegetation in Michigan that you will here. So, so in a sense, you can call Michigan part of the northeast. I think if, when you get much further west than that, it starts to get pretty sketchy. But uh, certainly um, over well through the Great, Great Lakes region. Um, and uh, in the book, I, I defined it as going down to pennsylvania um uh, new jersey there's really no hard and fast line you know between the northeast and the mid-atlantic states as you go south Um, it just has it's a you know it's a it's a spectrum and it changes gradually Um, so i, I can't give you a mason dixon line <laughs> for gardening <laughs> um... but that's pretty much it and it, you know, and it extends up uh, beyond the um, united states border in, into canada certainly
0: mm-hmm. Well, you have a lot of uh, really interesting information on soil and things to do about soil, and w- and you're talking about the Northeast, so you're talking about Cape Cod. You're talking about what might be sandy soil, and I I really en- enjoyed. Uh, I sort of devoured your section on soil. You really go into it.
1: That's interesting because that was actually the most difficult part. Of the book and the one that got the most examination, and I ultimately I, I had to have that reviewed by a soil scientist because hmm. I felt that there was a need um, for it. It's it's really too easy to give information that's um, too broad you know, when you when you get to a subject like that, and I didn't want to fall into that trap. Um, so I, I, I had to rely on you know a real authority to vet some of that material.
0: Well, you, when you talk about the region, the northeast region, uh, to me, you're talking about woodland with plenty of rain. And that's sort of what makes it a, this, I, we we could say the northeast quadrant <laughs> of the country uh, and of North America. Um, and I, well, Yeah, I think I,
1: it's, it's true. Precipitation is a big reason why we have that common vegetation across a large area.
0: And it's it's also the reason why I live here, in a way, because I just, you know, it's not a jungle because it's cold, and it's deciduous mostly, but in a way it is like a jungle. It's a, it, In the spring and the summer, it's so green here, I can't see myself living without that greenness. And the fantastic plants that grow on the, or used to grow, on the floor of the forest of this part of the country and of the world, because you include plants and amazing des- descriptions of plants from our woodlands meaning the woodlands of north america to the woodlands of other parts of the world mm-hmm. and uh, a, a good part of the book is about plants and uh you know there's yeah. lots of books that have that are encyclopedic and your book is encyclopedic too and i i love i'm just going to gush all over the place you have to stop me I, lo- I love the part of the book about the plants because it's not just like this is zone X and do this and plant this and move on to that one. You have so much personal information about and experience about the plants and you share all that in these descriptions, which are pretty long. They're usually more than a page long on each plant.
1: Um, thank you. Yeah, I personally, I feel that that is one of the distinguishing characteristics uh, of this book. And I f- have found it interesting as people have started to post reviews of it online that almost all of them make that same comment. Um, so I, I take that as an indication that there really was a need out there for something like this. And I'm, a, I'm definitely a very opinionated person when it comes to plants and gardening. Um, And and I think having a strong opinion is good as long as your opinion is based on strong reasons and you can justify your opinion. Um, And I justify my opinion (laughs) with um, all the years that I've I've been in business and and dealing with um, different kinds of properties, all in the Northeast, but still different kinds of properties which do give rise to very different problems uh, that have to be solved in different ways. And, you know, that... That experience, well nothing nothing can take the place of that. You just you learn a lot when you garden on more than one property. and that's the advantage that a professional gardener has um, over someone who who gardens only on their on their own property and they may know their own property and their own problems very, very well, but they just don't really have the opportunity to see how different it can be on another property.
0: well you you mentioned the word opinion. And and we could talk about what your yes I'm not
1: the only
0: one right and we could talk about what some of your favorite plants are and we might do that but I know that uh, well we have another thing in common (laughs) because I'm frustrated by well for one thing the media because the media insists that gardening uh, and I'm generalizing of course but they insist that gardening is decorating outdoors. You know, it's it's. Uh, I've said this before, but it, they treat it like it's putting up Christmas lights. You put them up, you plug it in, you move on to the next thing. And we know that's not really what gardening is, at all. Uh, and plants are not furniture, as you have mentioned. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what maybe we can do to help people and 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 anecdotes you might have about your own personal experiences with with people who, I know as a professional, when you go to a party. You're fair game. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> when they find true. out what you do, it's like a doctor or a lawyer. Everyone says, uh, oh, you, you're a garden designer. I need a tree. Uh,
1: yes, but I don't mind it. I definitely don't roll my eyes and say, oh, another one. Um, I definitely look at it as an opportunity to hopefully um, – put people, turn people around, you know, and send them off in the right direction. Often I find myself talking them out of plants as often, or maybe even more often than I find myself talking them into plants, <laughs> um, because, because you know, I, I am opinionated, and uh, one of the points I made in the book was that there are a number of, of very well, very shade-adapted plants that I intentionally did not include in the book, because I don't think that they are plants we should be growing. And the, the classic example I always use, of course, is the Japanese Pachysandra. Um, we're never going to eliminate it from our landscapes. And it's a beautiful plant, but it's such a thug um, that nobody ever needs to plant it ever again anywhere. Huh. And it would, it would be a better universe if that happened. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I like actually talking to people who ask for advice.
0: Well, you're talking about you mentioned Pachysandra, the Japanese Pachysandra. Uh, it's it's a thug, but there are some thugs that move so fast, and at least Pachysandra is not doesn't run like some other plants that you could leave out. And I know that uh, one I'm thinking of right now is is a chameleon plant, Hatoinia, that's still sold at almost oh and uh, goutweed that's sold at almost every nursery and garden center. Could you think yes. of a worse plant for the shade? I mean Yeah, no,
1: those are those are two bad ones. And I think chameleon plant probably is the single worst one <laughs> because because of the difficulty of eradicating it. Yeah, and it does run much faster than Japanese Pacassandra. You're absolutely right. And you can and just roll up that <laughs> What's that?
0: You can roll up pacisandra like a carpet and, and get rid of it somehow. I don't know how to That's kill true.
1: It. If you have the physical strength to, <laughs> 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 to to do that in the first place. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the chameleon plant is a nightmare, a nightmare. I think, that I'm not 100% certain off the top of my head, but I think that one or two of those, was not back Cassandra, but the other two might be banned in Connecticut, and um, I hope they are. <laughs> if they haven't been, I'd like to see them banned everywhere.
0: Well, that, there's another thing, too, because uh, I was in New Hampshire many years ago, and they were telling me that Barbary was banned in New Hampshire, Mm-hmm. So the professionals, I hate to say the word professional, uh, just would cross the border into Massachusetts to buy it.
1: Oh yeah, well that's uh, you know a common problem. Um, not, you know, obviously not just with p- plant control, but trying to control anything across state lines, y- you hear the same story again and again. So <coughs> yeah, you know, there really needs to be more of a regional uh, cooperative approach to controlling problem plants. That's for sure. I mean, I I guess the reason, you know, part of the reason that we have the problems that we do with invasive species is that there's been some lack of that in the past, so I I can only hope that the um, invasive plant control advocates and workers are are working on that front as well.
0: It's been a long time, many, many years, we've talked about this for so many years about things like that stopping sales of certain plants. but when you, if you go to a garden or nursery, a garden center or a nursery, and you see so many of the plants that we love, if you're not there for that week and a half when the trillium is blooming, or that's a bad example because let's hope that it was propagated properly and not scraped off the wild. But if you go and you buy some plant that blooms for a very short time, or or it's mostly for foliage, that's a hard sell for the garden centers. They think uh, to have the plant looked perfect for Mother's Day, which is when most people come and buy plants.
1: Yes, I and mean, it is a truism in the nursery trade, that's for sure. And I know a lot of, you know, I've got good relationships with um, a number of uh, nursery owners, and they all tell me the same thing, that that's, that turns out to be true for them. So I have to respect their experience um, and assume that it it is true. But that's the role that an author... Um, can play, or anybody in garden media, um, because the book has the potential to show you what the plant can do outside of that narrow window when it's in flower. So uh, I, I hope my book does that.
0: Well, and you have lots and lots of pictures. I should mention color pictures of the plants.
1: Yeah, plus in this, you know, the internet age, which is, has been a tremendous boon for anybody looking for information, you also have the option of just going to the inter- internet and Googling the name. I shouldn't use Google as a generic term, but uh, you know, I'm searching mm-hmm. for the name and um, coming up with a whole host of photographs that might show you how it looks throughout the year. And I always encourage people to do that. It's really good to know what you should expect from a plant before you buy it.
0: But I have to encourage people to uh, take a look at the Shady Lady's Guide to Northeast Shade Gardening, and my guest tonight, is, today, is Amy Ziffer, and we're talking about A lot of things and the book and I I think we're talking also I mean it says Northeast and we started talking about what is the Northeast but people who are interested in woodland plants and people who have shade this is a useful book for people all over the country unless you're in the the desert or of course California won't talk to us but that's another story when it comes to gardening (laughs) and and our zones and things like that Uh, tell me a little bit about backbone plants
1: well, um, backbone plant is a term that I came up with, and, and other people since I started using it have told me that they've independently come up with it, too, um, that just refers to the real power performers in the garden. I think that um, some plants are much better performers in a garden setting than others. Now we're, we're not talking about ecological value or anything else, but just strictly ornamental performance. Um, and from that standpoint, which is a valid way to look at plants when you're trying to make a landscape uh, that's ornamental, um, you know, some of them are going to uh, just give you a longer season of performance. That, in and of itself, um, is an improvement over, say, a spring ephemeral, which is a one-season plant. You can't you can't build a garden around one-season plants or two-season plants. You really need to have a core group of plants that are going to look good from you know, fairly early in spring to frost. And the backbone plants are the ones that have the potential to do that. So um, I always say they're, they're plants that have good foliage and hopefully good flowers, although obviously there are some plants that don't flower at all that we are grow and are highly ornamental, like ferns, um, are disease and pest resistant, um, hopefully disease and pest free, but there are very few plants that don't get anything um, or aren't browsed by anything. Um, And also you have to take into consideration um, how much work you have to go through to get them. So um, I eliminated the the number of plants because they're just sort of so obscure, and maybe there's one supplier in the country or something Hmm. like that. And I thought, am I really going to devote space in the the book to a plant that people are going to have trouble procuring? Um, And uh, I couldn't justify it. So um, it's also, my focus is very much on plants that are readily available.
0: So, uh, give me—I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me some example uh, examples of some of the backbone plants, if you can.
1: Sure. Um, well, you know, in the shade, um, hellebores always go right to the top of my list. And it, that was a plant of the year a few years ago, for good reason. And I think if you were to quiz growers and horticulturists um, throughout the Northeast, probably more people would say that hellebore is the number one shade perennial than any other plant. Hmm. Um, and I would concur with that, I mean they're just really, really good. Then there are um, a couple of several rogerzias that are great plants. Um, I, I definitely like things with big leaves. So you know the rogerzias and the hellebores both fall into that category. Smilacina is a native plant that I like a lot. It looks very much like a Solomon seal, but it displays its flowers differently, and I think it's just um very charming plant. A, a nice large colony of that is really a lovely thing to see. And it looks good even after it's flowered. Um, I love it, our native wild ginger, the Serum Canadem. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my go-to native ground cover, my absolute favorite. And I never get tired of looking at it. Um, let's see. There's some other ones. There's another one I just had on the um, uh, at the tip of my tongue, and I am blanking on where my head was going <laughs>
0: Well, you um, mentioned the ground covers and uh, and the ginger, and that makes me think also of the bane of the shade gardener, which is dry soil, dry shade, and
1: yes.
0: plants like epimedium. Uh, I'm going to try to guess what some of these are. that you, <laughs> Some of the backbone plants, the geranium.
1: Macrorhizome yeah. geranium. Yeah, there aren't a lot of shade-tolerant geraniums, but that is one, and it's very good in dry shade and so are epimediums i mean any plant has its limits right. for dryness of course um but those two are exceptionally tolerant of dry conditions and shady conditions so you put the two together and you've got a real powerhouse plant um and so those are the, those are two plants that come immediately to mind um when i think of dry shade
0: when i think of shade i th- i do think of the spring ephemerals and i just i i worship them I just love them. But it, it, it but as you say, you can't really make a garden around them out of unless you just want to see your garden for one week a year, which, of course, we don't want to do. So you mentioned browsing. And when we're talking about any part of the country, but the Northeast, perhaps especially in Connecticut, definitely, we're talking about deer. So what are some of the plants that you have found don't get browsed as much and what are the things some of the things that you do to keep the deer away?
1: Well, let's see. Um, of the plants that we just talked about, the only one that I have ever had browsed would be the Smilocena, and that's pretty unusual. It's actually very unusual to get that browsed, but it has happened. Um, the others I don't think I have ever seen browsed. Um, There are actually a lot of deer-resistant plants, they just don't necessarily, they aren't necessarily the plants that people immediately associate with shade. So um, if you, you know, if deer browsing is a problem, you really do need to do a little research um, to find out, you have to, you know, here's what it boils down to, you have to learn to value a plant for that quality, which um, people have a hard time learning to do it's still too easy to buy impulsively based on a flower or a flower color or something like that and to discount the fact that the plant won't get browsed. I try to kind of turn that value system upside down and say, hey, flowers are really the last thing you should be asking about when it comes to plants because uh, hopefully if they're good ornamentals, they're going to have other ornamental qualities above and beyond their flowers, which are only going to be there for a couple weeks anyhow, and you should be valuing those other qualities more highly.
0: Well, and I noticed in your book you talk about want versus need and how people should think about the plants they need a little bit more than the plants that they want.
1: Yes. Definitely. And I mean, it's not that hard to do. and it's not—it It might seem like a foreign idea at first, but if you stop to ask yourself how you buy a car or how you buy a lot of things, um, you'll realize that you probably put practical considerations first most of the time. Um, you just need to learn to apply that to plant purchases. But well, you'll make better choices in the end if you do.
0: And people talk to me about they want this happens doesn't happen as much as it used to. They used to say first thing was no maintenance. I no want a maintenance. no maintenance garden. And yes, I that's
1: astroturf. That is, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the no maintenance. Well, garden. Well, you still have to
0: hose down the astroturf, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you have to vacuum the carpet inside. There, I can't imagine. You know, I I hear what they're saying, but really. I want to slap them sometimes. <laughs> Plants. So,
1: well, no need to resort to violence, but no, um, but, but, it's tr- but it's true. But it's true. You know, I think there was uh, maybe in the in the 90s there was kind of this you know, no maintenance craze or l- very low maintenance craze, and I, I think ultimately people learned well there really isn't any such thing. Uh, I always tell people that a low maintenance plant, uh, you know, it's a relative scale. So all that low maintenance means is less maintenance than high maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you should still assume that a plant is going to need a lot of maintenance. Any plant. You know, well, but that's not a bad thing. It's better right. to scale your garden back and have a small garden and reduce the maintenance that way, than try to kind of find plants that don't really exist.
0: Well, but it would be great if we could convince more people that that you know, primping a little bit is part of the joy of having the garden and getting to see those plants up close you'll never see those wild ginger flowers unless you're on your hands on your stomach practically and that's (laughs) that's really a beautiful thing to see and maybe we have to just change the word maintenance or something to uh, enjoying and participating and being part of the natural world because that's one of the greatest parts of a garden is is that but i know that you're a professional and you're dealing with clients and you're doing your best. <laughs>
1: Definitely.
0: Well, I want to recommend your new book and I'm enjoying it. Uh I'm in the I'm deep into the encyclopedic part of the back which I can't I guess people are going to get it and just look at the pictures and read the captions and then look up one plant that they're particularly interested in, but I'm I t- I I find myself reading it. <laughs> just reading to hear what you have to say about some of the plants that I've loved all my life. And I want to thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, thanks. It's been my pleasure.
0: And I want to remind people again that it's the Shady Lady's Guide to Northeast Shade Gardening. And I've been talking to the Shady Lady, Amy Ziffer. And thanks again for joining me.
1: Have a great uh, time with the book and in the coming gardening year. I will. And the same to all of your listeners. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye.
0: Bye. I have to say that more and more These days, it it seems to be getting hotter and hotter. I find myself seeking the refuge of the shadows and the sheltered places in the garden. I'll be out in the sun for just a short time and I don't want to be so hot anymore. Just a footstep away and it's 10 to 15 degrees cooler in the shade. Join me again next week for another edition of Kendrew's Real Dirt, Gardening 2.0.